This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. Every once in a while, as I'm pondering what we do here on the show, I try to find what is that connective thread. You know, I know that evangelization and discipleship have always been kind of a core principle for me uh, and kind of an organizing principle around the topics that we have in the show, but it doesn't quite um, explain what it is we do here. And as I was preparing for today's show with our guest, um, what struck me was the process of formation that we that we subject our priests to. When they go to a seminary, they go through this four pillars of formation. They go through what we'd expect, human formation. What does it mean to be a moral and good person? They go through intellectual formation, which is what we typically think of when we think of uh, advanced degrees. They also go through spiritual formation. Uh, how do you pray together? How do you uh, grow in your own spiritual person? And then they go through pastoral formation. How do I as a person relate to those who are around me? And I think that those four pillars are very much what I'm centered on as we pick topics, as we talk to to people from various disciplines, uh, sometimes a, a, a lay person who has written a book, sometimes a seminary professor, sometimes a priest or a bishop. All of these um, these various topics that we discuss all center around how are we being formed individually as Catholics? More than just being able to recite the right answers from the catechism, it's about how we live out the implications of those things that we believe. Uh, and so today, I, I always love talking with seminary professors, with people who are in uh, in those higher levels of academia who can take these difficult, complex co uh, topics of the faith and bring them to a level that challenges us. Sometimes it may be a little bit over our heads, but we ought to be not maybe frustrated by that, not, not uh, shaking it off and saying, well, I could never get to that place, but rather to be challenged that there are depths to our faith, which we've not yet explored. And we ought to be getting as much out of this faith of ours as we can, forming ourselves uh, to be the people that God has called by his own name. So today we're going to be talking with Dr. Donald Wallenfang. He, he's also known as Emmanuel Mary of the Cross. He's a secular discalced Carmelite, professor of theology and philosophy at Sacred Heart Major Seminary in Detroit, and he's the founder of MyInteriorCastle.com, which is a website featuring online mini courses about Catholic theology, philosophy, and spirituality that you can take from your home at your own pace. Dr. Wallenfang specializes in Catholic theology and philosophy, Carmelite spirituality, phenomenology, and metaphysics. If those are terms that you don't know, uh, this is the perfect place for you to go uh, to, to grow a little bit deeper in your faith and your understanding. He teaches courses in philosophy, theology, lay ecclesial ministry, evangelization, and Catholic spirituality. Dr. Wallenfang, it's such a pleasure to have you here today. So good to be with you as well, TL. Thanks so much for inviting me to be on your show, Outside the Walls. Now, I'm intrigued. Um, you you are in Catholic academia. Uh, you're you're teaching our our young men as they're on their way to priesthood, forming them to to be the people who are 
bringing us the sacraments and preparing us for the works of ministry out in our culture. But uh, before that, before you were in academia, you were in parish ministry in in youth ministry. So I'm I'm you, you, that's not a, a transition that you often hear people making from from youth minister now into PhD and doing work um, teaching seminarians. What was that that call for you like? The call. Uh, in ministry in one capacity into now doing a, a, a deeper work perhaps, uh, or at least a further work down in that, in that level, uh, forming our, our priests. Right. It's been quite an amazing voyage following Christ since a very young age, raised in the Catholic church and uh, went to Catholic school, kindergarten through the 12th grade ended up getting a bachelor's degree in trumpet performance. I love to glorify God, to praise Him through music, through song, and I admired some of the great composers in all various genres. My father's favorite composer is Ludwig von Beethoven, and so I had different aspirations of composing music, performing music, both jazz, classical, and at a very young age was called to marriage, which really set a certain course for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Was married at age 22, and my wife Megan was 20. And getting a bachelor's in trumpet performance, there's not a lot of uh, job openings, we should say, <laughs> there. And my mom let me know there was a job in youth ministry at St. Joseph Catholic Church in St. Joseph, Michigan, right next door to the Catholic school I went to, Lake Michigan Catholic, and uh, they wanted to start up a life teen program at the time. This is back in the year 2001, and I had gotten some volunteer and part-time youth ministry experience at the Cathedral Parish, St. Augustine Cathedral in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and uh, with the music background could lead worship, and and it was enough to get my foot in the door and get um, an interview and then offered this position. Uh, for not a whole lot of money a year, and I was newly married, and our first child was about to be born. Uh, But it was a great adventure with Megan and I, and then our first daughter, Ellen. Uh, And so I served in three different parishes in the Midwest, United States, and Michigan, and then Wisconsin, and then Naperville, Illinois. And all along the way, I was getting further education in theology and philosophy, uh, because my positions in ministry required it. And uh, it wasn't something I was really trying to do, but it was kind of a, of necessity. So I got my master's degree at St. Norbert College in De Pere, Wisconsin, which opened the door for a, a director of youth ministry job at a big Catholic church in Naperville, Illinois. And then I felt the call to pursue doctoral studies. And my wife was very supportive of this. Uh, and then I finished a PhD at Loyola University, Chicago and felt called gradually into academia, really fell in love with theology and philosophy and admired all of the very eloquent and inspiring theologians in the history of the church and started to aspire in those directions uh, and feeling called from God to do that. So it was a big transition. My first uh, job was at Walsh University in academia in Northeast Ohio and was there for eight years. And then there was a neat opportunity that presented itself 
in the Archdiocese of Detroit uh, to become a full professor at Sacred Heart Major Seminary there. And I felt that um, God just opened all these doors along the way, often out of nowhere, and I wasn't seeing it coming. But it's been so amazing up to the present and having a lot of children along the way too. We have six children, ages 22 down to eight and it's just uh overflowing with with blessing love and responsibility mm -hmm. one of the things that uh, that we were talking about before we started here is we spend a lot of time in our personal study uh the books that we consume in and all of the the media that's available to us uh through formed or through whatever else we find in in catholic media focusing on growing and forming our intellectual life. And we think about that in terms of uh, when we think of, of higher education as well, is that we're going to, to plumb the depths of Catholic teaching so that we can have the right answer. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and there's certainly, that's an aspect of what we need to, to do growing in our faith is to, to form our intellect and to make sure that we are not ill-equipped. Um, but I'm intrigued specifically with your role as a secular discalced Carmelite. I'm intrigued at where you see uh, and what you see in spiritual formation, both at the seminary and, and obviously you're offering these, these courses on myinteriorcastle.com. Um, how do you see that, maybe the state of that in the church today, and maybe your vision for that in the church today? Sure, it's something quite remarkable, this contemplative life. And I think I was drawn to it uh, out of my own personality, I think, that can tend toward solitude and pondering, uh, finding quiet places on the shore of Lake Michigan or in the woods or in a room by myself, just seeking the Lord calling upon his name, seeking his face, and uh, reading scripture. Scripture just shaped me so much, especially later in high school, uh, especially the Gospels. I had a Bible, what's called a red-letter Bible, where the words of Christ are in red, and I still have it to this day, as well as other versions of scripture now. But um, I just developed an intimate relationship with Christ, and it was something that I wanted to witness to. I felt obliged to share with anyone nearby. Uh, and it became the work of evangelization. And I think that this relationship between contemplation and evangelization may for some people seem unusual, but I think it's, it's a dialectic that needs to be maintained in the life of discipleship. Of course, to varying degrees, depending on one's specific charism and apostolate, but there should be some striving toward contemplative prayer, vocal prayer, meditation, but above all, the highest peaks of contemplative prayer. I was really drawn by the Carmelite saints. Since um, middle school, I remember reading about St. Edith Stein and her tremendous story, and eventually I'd write a book on her uh, theological anthropology, her understanding of human being in relation to divine being. 
But then Teresa of Avila, John of the Cross, Therese of Lisieux, Elizabeth of the Trinity, I started to read more of these saints. Also, as they were so influential in the life of Pope St. John Paul II and his theology of the body work, before I became a music major in undergrad, I was studying pre-medicine, wanting to become a medical doctor. And I remember the first time I saw a copy of St. John Paul II's work, Theology of the Body, and that earlier edition that had the symbols of masculinity and femininity intertwined on the cover of the book. And studying pre-medicine, it was such a great connection between faith and natural science. Uh, and so I grew in this love for the contemplative life through the influence of the Carmelite saints. And now I see this, I guess, unique style of theology that I've been entrusted with as a layman, a married man, a secular discalced Carmelite, a husband and father, and an American, uh, an English speaker, uh, that's all very unusual and really rather unprecedented until very recent times. And I'm still trying to figure out uh, what that means and what that unique witness is within the church and in the world. And with the background in pastoral ministry, it can be really difficult to be in academia and not be able to do everything all at once, not be able to be in full-time parish ministry and then a full-time professor and then full-time, full-time husband and father and, and hold everything together by God's grace. Yeah. I want to go back to that that statement you made about the connection between the contemplative life and evangelization. And I think back to, in Scripture, before all of the, the major miracles that you see Jesus perform, you see that he went away to a solitary place, uh, and he went and he prayed uh, before any of those things occurred. The same at the very beginning of his ministry, where he goes into the wilderness for 40 days and fasts, uh, just in, in a similar way to what what we should be doing over that season of Lent, to, to strip ourselves maybe of the things that would keep us from that will of God, to spend time drawing closer to God in that contemplation. Um, before we get out of the way enough for God to be able to use us in profound ways. But I'm, th- that's what I think of when I think of that connection. I'm, I'm curious if you could elaborate a little more on the, the connection you see between contemplation and evangelization. For sure. I think that kenosis precedes kinesis, meaning that self-emptying must come before moving. Uh, moving in this missionary field of evangelization, it is necessary that we empty ourselves fully before the Lord, lay everything at the foot of the cross, pour out everything in us, all our ideas, plans, aspirations, dreams. This is what I've learned through the course of my life, and I know that even today I have to continue to do this as I get new goals, new visions, but always making sure it's the Lord's vision that's being carried out through me. So first comes self-emptying, as we read in St. Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, talking about having the same attitude that is in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, 
did not deem equality with God something to be robbed, but rather he emptied himself. The kenao in uh, Greek, he, he emptied himself. This is what contemplation really does. It begins with an active movement of prayer, especially what St. Teresa of Avila calls this prayer of recollection. The first phase is active. It involves very intentional self-denial and mortification, a quieting of all the disordered appetites and affections, and an emptying of the self to the point of abandonment. And once this happens, we're an empty vessel, a vas spirituale, as we read in the Litany of Loreto, for God to channel his saving grace through us. This is who we are as human beings, as body and soul, so vulnerable, so feeble, so fickle oftentimes. And as St. Paul writes in Second Corinthians, we are but clay vessels to show that the power of God, it does not come from us. It is the Lord's contemplation is necessary so we could think so much contemplation, so much evangelization. And the church teaches that the primary agent of evangelization is God the Holy Spirit, not ourselves. And I like to think of ourselves as, as like a sailboat, and we have to raise the sail on the mast and let the wind of God the Holy Spirit fill it and move us to where he wants us to go. You talked about your your personality kind of predisposed you to that that Carmelite way of of experience and expressing the faith. Um, I am probably on the other extreme of that. Uh, I'm a very uh, I, I've had that running monologue that goes on in my head that uh, even when I'm quiet, it's not quiet, right? There's there's always something uh, going on in my thoughts, and so I've always found contemplation to be quite the challenge. Uh, w- when I went to um, I did a specific uh, quiet, silent retreat uh, at a Benedictine monastery some years ago. Uh, and I tried to do that fairly regularly, but this this one stands out to me because it took me three days before that interior monologue was quiet enough for me actually just to contemplate. Uh, and, I, and I think so often there are people like me who have this this concept that prayer has to be expressed with words, that, that that words are an intrinsic part of prayer. And of course, the contemplative life, the contemplative way of prayer kind of turns that on its head and says that it's perhaps, and correct me if I'm wrong here, that prayer is more presence and intimacy and closeness than it is just an ongoing conversation with constant barrage of words. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a good Catholic response to many theological questions is both and, yes and yes. And when the Catechism talks about uh, that fourth pillar on prayer, and it talks about three different types of prayer, specific types of prayer, beginning with vocal prayer, where our, our words give flesh to thought, give flesh to the intentions of our hearts. Vocal prayer is that first form of prayer, that preliminary form of prayer, even if in a Sotto voce, a soft voice, that Benedictine practice of Lexio Divina and reading the biblical text out loud, liturgy of the hours, even if praying by oneself, to still read at least with a whisper, read out loud. And even for a contemplative, 
when we read St. Teresa of Avila talk about these things, it's a, it's a gradual growing sequence leading into contemplation. And it's not that someone ever graduates from vocal prayer or the prayer of meditation, but these cycle back every day. And uh, praying the divine office is a daily bread for a Carmelite. Even as a third order Carmelite, we are obliged to pray morning and evening prayer from the Liturgy of the Hours as much as possible. And then this moves into what's called mental prayer, which is meditation involving discursive reasoning, uh, Ignatian kind of method of engaging the religious imagination, thinking about this thing, then that thing, something like, again, Lexia Divina, the mysteries of the rosary, stations of the cross, and moving toward that prayer of recollection, which is really the first stage of contemplative prayer proper, which St. Teresa of Avila talks about a gathering together of the soul that's been distended by so many cares and concerns, appetites and affections, a gathering up of the soul, but then a movement of the soul into its interior recesses, where at the center of the soul is not the self, but the divine other. As Pope St. Gregory the Great said, the holy other awaits us in the most interior of our soul. So it's really a, a journey, a spiritual journey inward, whereas so much fruitful apostolic ministry is, is outward. It's very much exterior. It's going here or there. It's very interesting that the two patron saints of the missionary, missionary activity of the church are Therese of Lisieux and Francis Xavier. Mm -hmm. So we have the Carmelite contemplative who enters the monastery at age 15, dies at age 24 of tuberculosis, and she had this missionary heart that wanted to go all over the world, and she did so with her contemplative prayer. It's missionary contemplation. And then St. Francis Xavier, one of the first Jesuits who spends um, the last 10 years of his life uh, on mission in present-day India, Japan, uh, Southeast Asia. Uh, and these two working together, that uh, kind of masculine genius of this going out, this movement of exteriority, uh, toward the other in this this feminine interiority of, of the Therese, and both of these working hand in hand in the human being, both male and female human beings, a complementarity of a missionary contemplation and evangelization. Mm -hmm. You brought up earlier, and we mentioned here, that there is this, this certain sense of personality predisposing you to one thing or the other, but we are both and, even though I might be more predisposed to be very vocal and verbal and, and external, uh, and it, it's more of a challenge for me to do the mental prayer and the, the contemplation. It's still something that I should be practicing and, and vice versa with the contemplative evangelization is still that, that outpouring that, that while we have our specific charisms and our specific giftings, we ought to be forming ourselves in the things that are hard for us uh, because it makes us more, maybe more complete or, or maybe more uh, fully participating in the life of grace. 
Mm -hmm. Most definitely. Most definitely. I would say solitude, this solitary contemplative prayer, without community, without sociality, without consideration of evangelization, becomes loneliness and isolation and self-insulation. And it withers up and becomes rather fruitless. On the other extreme, the sociality without solitude can become a frenetic busyness uh, and a very distended soul. Um, so it is both things working together. And even in the mystical body of Christ, we complement one another. As St. Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, that the, the hand shouldn't say to the heart, I don't need you because you're not a hand and the heart shouldn't say to the hand, who are you? You're not a heart pumping the blood throughout the body like me. Um, the whole body works together as an organic whole and Christ is the head and we are the members. And so we don't all think we need to do it all. Um, and And it's beautiful that when we look at what God has called each one of us to, we can appreciate, I can appreciate what God has called T.L. Putnam to and outside mm -hmm. the walls. And I look at your ministry and see all the guests you've had on your show and the syndicated through the various radio channels and other platforms. And I'm just like, wow, that's incredible. You know, and it's, it's like, I, I could be, prone to jealousy or envy, but that would miss the point. It's like, I can appreciate that and I can pray for you in your ministry and then and then vice versa. I'm doing my my little thing, uh, broadcasting from a closet, uh, a couple podcasts with minor listenership and writing some enigmatic uh, theology and philosophy. <laughs> but it's, it's a little contribution um, too, and, 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 and God wants to work through all of it. And so that as, as Catholics, we don't get into, um, this competitive comparing and, uh, and all that, which is so tempting through all the social media stuff and the likes and the views and, and all these things. Uh, but that does start to miss the point, but to see ourselves, the member that God is calling us to be within his mystical body and how all of this works together. And as Pope Francis says in Evangelii Gaudium, his apostolic exhortation on the joy of the gospel, that when we contemplate, our hearts should be filled with faces and names. So I do like to think about the contemplatives as that stationary heart that helps pump blood through the body and to the more active apostolates and ministries and that my contemplative prayer needs to be oriented toward the total missionary activity of the church and not merely self-concerned. We're talking today with Dr. Donald Wallenfang, also known as Emmanuel Mary of the Cross, a secular discalced Carmelite, professor of theology and philosophy at Sacred Heart Major Seminary, and the founder of MyInteriorCastle.com. When we come back, we're going to be talking about some of the formation opportunities available to you on myinteriorcastle.com, as well as much more. Uh, come be a part of the ongoing conversation, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. And don't go anywhere because there's much more right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. And we're talking again today with Dr. Donald Wallenfang, who is also known as Emmanuel Mary of the Cross, is a secular discalced Carmelite professor of theology and philosophy at Sacred Heart Major Seminary in Detroit, and is the founder of MyInteriorCastle.com, a website featuring online mini courses about Catholic theology, philosophy, and spirituality that you can take from home at your own pace. Learn more at myinteriorcastle.com. Dr. Wallingfang, it's such a pleasure to have you. Thanks for being here today. A great pleasure to be with you, TL. Thanks so much. I, I'm, as you were in the, at the end of the last segment, you were talking about um, the ways in which we all work together as part of the body. Uh, and thinking back to that question of forming ourselves in the places that we're not necessarily very strong in, it reminded me of the liturgical calendar that the church has given us. That, uh, that just like we see uh, either in the book of Ezekiel or or Nehemiah, um, or rather Ezra or Nehemiah, you see this, this time where the, the word of God is brought back to the people and they are kind of in despair because they're hearing the law again for the first time since exile and, and they feel the loss of it. And they are told by their leaders, no, 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 I'm looking at the calendar here. This is a time for rejoicing. So this is not the time for the sadness. You need to, to now, let's get back with this law. Let's, let's have this celebration, this feast. We do the same thing. If you're in a place where you are, are feeling depressed, the church gives us Easter and encourages us as a body to go and celebrate and, and not just stick with the thing that maybe most natural to us, but to, to together as a community to supernaturally enter into that, that sacramental life. And so to, if we're having a great time, the church gives us Lent and says, remember that there are things that we need to divest ourselves of through prayer and fasting and almsgiving to put ourselves in right relationship with our person, our, our self, with our community and with our God. And, and through these pillars to, to practice what may not be the season of life we feel like we're in, and yet the church thinks it's important for kind of, you know, the, the balanced part of this complete breakfast, right? We, we have to grab uh, all of the, the human experience because we are not just doing this ourselves. We're doing this in community and we're, we're maybe exercising muscles of emotion or of thought or of prayer that don't come naturally to us. And that's part of being a formed Catholic and not just, uh, you know, doing what we're good at. Uh, you're a music person. You played trumpet. I was a, a vocal performance guy when I was in college. And mm-hmm. I remember as, as a young person, I would go to my piano lessons or whatever. And I like to play the things I like to play. And, and my teacher <laughs> would have to bring me back around and say, okay, that's great. That's good but this is where your weakness is and this is where you need to work um, in order to, to be better formed and to be more complete. Um, and I think sometimes we, as adult Catholics, go into those ruts that we did as you know student pianists of, well, I know what I'm good at and I know what I like, and so that's really what I want to focus on and spend my efforts on, rather than allowing ourselves to be formed in those places that Maybe we're not all that good at yet. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, and that's mm-hmm. season of Lent 
is is perfect for that. Mm-hmm. So as you have these courses on myinteriorcastle.com that really focus in on the spiritual formation, Lexio Divina, uh, a few other practices, a few other um, philosophical or theological ideas. Kind of walk us through what these courses look like uh, and what the intent behind them is. Yeah, so we all lived through this COVID pandemic uh, in 2020, really into 2022, and um, and praise God, uh, around the world subsiding compared to what it it was. Mm-hmm. But during that time, there was a great movement of isolation and further fragmentation that already was was very much trending in postmodernity and the pandemic itself was like the straw that broke the camel's back so to speak and almost seemed like a uh, impossible to recuperate uh, any kind of social stability before the pandemic um, especially for those of us who already were experiencing strained family relationships or maybe just moved right before it happened and all kinds of things. So uh, since I've been in academia since 2011, everything has become more and more digitalized with mm-hmm. with every year. And the pandemic just exponentially uh, increased that movement toward uh, online education. Every course I teach now has some digital component, hybrid courses, dual delivery courses, totally online courses. And it's we could lament what's lost without mostly in person, uh, teaching and learning. But at the same time, we can see the great missionary call to evangelize on the digital continent. Right. It's massive right now. And so in 2022, I felt inspired to begin an online apostolate. Not there there were not any in existence already. There's there's many, but I felt even um, in my own vocation, I was not being involved in evangelization like I, I felt that I really desired. And I thought at least going online and putting up some self-paced mini courses could really serve people. It was a way to share my gifts as a theology and philosophy professor. It was a way to kind of duplicate what I was already doing at the seminary and I'd learned to do in uh, university life before that. Uh, And it gives more freedom of initiative. If I want to do a, a class on the interior castle, I can just do that. If I want to do one Alexa Alexa Divina, I can do that. So I developed this website, myinteriorcastle.com. Obviously, the name comes from St. Teresa of Avila's spiritual masterpiece, um, The Interior Castle, where she talks about the seven dwelling places of the soul. So it's a natural thing to brand it that way as a third-order Carmelite. The mission of the apostolate really is to cultivate the contemplative life to serve as an engine for Catholic missionary evangelization, to proclaim Jesus Christ and his church, to help teach people more about the contemplative life, how to enter into contemplative prayer, 
even in the smallest of ways. Because oftentimes, as you mentioned before, we could think of prayer as us saying a lot of words to God, and that's part of it. But what about this prayer called contemplation? What's so special about it? How is it different than vocal prayer and meditation? So, so far, I've developed six courses on the platform. The biggest one, the, the centerpiece, is called the Interior Castle Commentary. And it's designed as a 14-week-long uh, extended commentary on the complete work of St. Teresa of Avila, the Interior Castle. And I get into some of the original Spanish text as well, uh, just translating a bit, just fragments of it, but it's it's English commentary. Um, but it's it's um, an in-depth one, and every week features a couple uh, small video lectures uh, of mine, and then some accompanying resources and a kind of discussion board. That's the uh, centerpiece of the offerings. And then I also developed uh, a three-week or three-part course on St. John of the Cross and his concept, the dark night of the soul, which I think draws so many people's attention. What does exactly he mean by this? And that there's actually two dark nights of the soul that he talks about in his work, The Ascent of Mount Carmel, and the, the sequel, The Dark Knight. I developed also a three-part course on exorcism and deliverance, which I think is so important in our times, understanding how demonic influence works in our lives and um, how it relates to addiction, uh, demonic oppression and interference in people's family lives work lives, financial lives, every aspect of lives. And um, the more I was in ministry and experiencing different things in my own family, I realized deliverance is a really important thing. And especially when I was teaching the RCIA, now becoming known as the OCIA, Order of Christian Initiation of Adults in the United States, uh, but how many prayers of minor exorcism are meant to accompany the catechumens. Uh, and and that this is a really important part of, of discipleship, continuing to be delivered from demonic influence through these prayers of minor exorcism, at least in some cases, the need for for major exorcism uh, performed by a, a priest, uh, exorcist designated by a bishop. And just a couple other courses we have on there, uh, one on Lexio Divina, called Divine Reading, The Art of Praying with Scripture, a three-part course, and another final three-part course on the Jewish roots of the Catholic faith called Covenant and Commandments, which I think is such an important topic, especially in the post-Holocaust world in which we live mm -hmm. today. Uh, and one other thing I have on there is the the if someone wanted to have a meeting with me for spiritual and theological advising, uh, that's a possibility there too. So uh, these variety of courses, and these were developed. Uh, my 14-year-old son, Callum, really helped me a lot. He has a love for technology, and he was the videographer for all of these um, publications and helped do some of the website design. Uh, and my wife, Megan, also did some of the accompanying materials through Canva. Uh, so it became a family affair altogether and it remains so to this day. My wife Megan and I 
started our own podcast called the Shoeless Podcast because my wife, uh, Megan, is also a third order Carmelite. We made our final profession together several years ago when we were still living in Ohio and even published a book together called Shoeless because that's the meaning of the word discalced. Discalced Carmelites, the Reform Order of Carmelites of St. Teresa of Avila. Uh, and so we we based the podcast on that book. It's up to six episodes as of today. And it's a candid podcast about marriage, family life, Catholic spirituality, that we just have a conversation about 20 some minutes long and try to publish an episode once a week. And then um, there's the Catholic Fragments podcast, which I started uh, last year, and it's up to 42 episodes. And the idea of that, as the title suggests, is um, taking different fragments from the theological tradition of the church, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas or uh, St. Augustine, all the various Carmelite saints for sure, lesser known Catholic authors like Carol Hauslander, mm-hmm. St. Elizabeth of the Trinity, and just taking little fragments and reading and commenting on them as a professional theologian. So it's, I think, a gift I can offer uh, to the church and lead people into the, the fullness of truth in the Catholic Church. And and it matches up with our you know fragmented uh, postmodern, post-pandemic situation. And I think a real strategy is to deliver fragments so as to gather up the fragments of life. And um, it's one of the best, I guess, um, strategies we have in in angling souls uh, to the the bark of grace that is the church. Um, and finally, on this my interior castle apostolate, we've I've got a blog going up to twenty six posts, an interactive blog if people wanted to read it and offer um, comments on a variety of topics, sometimes excerpts from my books. And uh, then there's a summary of the 12 books I've published to date with links to them and, and then their endorsements. So this it's, um, it's a kind of catch-all site that, that features this variety of content and growing. The time I get to add really to it is in the summer when I'm not yeah. teaching as much at the seminary. So that's coming up. You mentioned earlier that when we pray and when we do these other things, we have to do it not just in our solitary self, but in community. And so as you're hearing this, I want to encourage you to consider going to listen to that podcast, but do it not only by yourself, but invite some others to to listen as well, and then have conversations about what you've heard, uh, about the the passages that have been read from and grow in your faith together as iron sharpens iron. So one sharpens another. And so we do form, we do form ourselves, but we should be forming ourselves in community because we are being formed as the bride of Christ together. We've been talking today with Dr. Donald Wallenfang, Emmanuel Mary of the Cross, a secular discalced Carmelite, professor of theology and philosophy at Sacred Heart Major Seminary in Detroit, and the founder of MyInteriorCastle.com. Really encourage you to go and take a look at that. Dr. Wallenfang, thank you so much for joining us today. 
Great pleasure, T.L. Thank you. If you missed any part of my conversation with Dr. Wallingfang or you want to go back and listen to it again or share it with your friends on social media, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. And if you enjoyed that conversation and you want more, I've got good news. There is more. There's always more. Each and every week, we record an extra segment that doesn't make the broadcast that we record specifically for those who support the show through Patreon. Our Patreon support community helps keep us on the air, and in gratitude, we like to give them a little bit extra, extra questions with our guests, a deeper dive into the topic. So if that's of interest to you or you want to learn more about that, go to OutsideTheWalls.com and click the Patreon link there in the top menu bar. There you can see all of the various options available to you, as well as look through some of those older segments that are now available to the general public and catch up on some of those older episodes and get the behind the scenes uh, extra segments that would be available to you as well. Now, let's go ahead and turn our attention to our readings from scripture and church history. That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read scripture in light of church teaching by putting the magisterium at your fingertips, linking scripture to the fathers and doctors of the church, the catechism, uh, biblical commentaries, original language research, and so much more. You can learn more at Verbum.com. Our reading today from Scripture comes from the book of the prophet Micah. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance, who dwell alone in a forest in the midst of a garden land. Let them graze in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old, as in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt. I will show them marvelous things. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever, because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. That reading comes from the book of the prophet Micah, and I bring it today because this is a beautiful meditation, a beautiful contemplation of who God is and our relationship to him. Of course, this is just an example for us. It's ours is going to look a little bit different. Um, But that question, who is a God like you? And then, of course, the prophet Micah goes on, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgressions for the remnant of his inheritance. Who is a God like you? This is a question that can occupy our hearts and our minds for years. Who is a God like you? And then allow ourselves to think back on our own history just as as Micah has done here, to look back on our own experiences, on the experiences of those in our community, to help us see the track record of this God, that even in our dark moments, just as the prophet Micah is writing in the midst of, even in our dark moments and those that we're uncertain, uh, we can still, because we see his track record, we can still have confidence and consolation in that question. Who is a God like you? 
and then recounting those things to ourselves as we meditate and contemplate his presence. Our reading today from church history, we're going to to go to St. Teresa of Avila, and we're going to read from The Way of Perfection, chapter 26, as she explains a method for for recollection, for recollecting one's mind, and sets down some ways of doing this. And of course, she's writing to her sisters, uh, and so as she makes those addresses, she's going to be addressing her sisters, but each of us can find ourselves in the place as the recipient of this letter. And St. Teresa of Avila, Doctor of the Church, says this. Now then, let us return to our vocal prayer that it may be so recited that without being aware of the fact, God may grant us everything together and also enable us to say vocal prayers as we should, as I have mentioned. As is already known, the examination of conscience, the act of contrition, and the sign of the cross must come first. Then, daughters, since you were alone, strive to find a companion. Well, what better companion than the Master himself who taught you this prayer? Represent the Lord himself as close to you, and behold how lovingly and humbly he is teaching you. Believe me, you should remain with so good a friend as long as you can. If you, go, if you grow accustomed to having him present at your side, and he sees that you do so with love, and that you go about striving to please him, you will not be able, as they say, to get away from him, and he will never fail you. He will help you in all your trials. You will find him everywhere. Do you think it's some small matter to have a friend like this at your side? Oh, sisters, those of you who cannot engage in much discursive reflection with the intellect or keep your mind from distraction, get used to this practice. Get used to it. See, I know that you can do this, for I suffered many years from the trial, and it is a very great one, of not being able to quiet the mind in anything. But I know that the Lord does not leave us so abandoned, for if we humbly ask him for his friendship, he will not deny it to us. And if we cannot succeed in one year, we will succeed later. Let's not regret the time that is so well spent. Who's making us hurry? I am speaking of acquiring this habit and of striving to walk us alongside this true master. I'm not asking you now that you think about him or that you draw out a lot of concepts or make long and subtle reflections with your intellect. I'm not asking you to do anything more than look at him. For who can keep you from turning the eyes of your soul toward this Lord, even if you, even if you do so just for a moment, if you can't do more? You can look at very ugly things. Won't you be able to look at the most beautiful thing imaginable? Well now, daughters, your spouse never takes his eyes off you. He has suffered your committing a thousand ugly offenses and abominations against him, and this suffering wasn't enough for him to cease looking at you. Is it too much to ask that you turn your eyes from these exterior things in order to look at him sometimes? Behold, he is not waiting for anything else, as he says to his bride, than that we look at him. 
in the measure you desire him, you will find him. He so esteems our turning to look at him that no diligence will be lacking on his part. What you can do as a help in this matter is to try and carry about an image or painting of this Lord that is to your liking, not so as to carry it about on your heart and never look at it, but so as to speak often with him. For he will inspire you with what to say. Since you speak with other persons, why must words fail you more when you speak with God? Don't believe that they will, or at least I will not believe that they will, if you acquire the habit. Otherwise, the failure to communicate with a person causes both estrangement and a failure to know how to speak with him. For it seems, it seems then that we don't know him, even if he may be a relative. Family ties and friendship are lost through lack of communication. It's also a great help to take a good book written in the vernacular in order to recollect one's thoughts and pray well vocally, and little by little accustom the soul with coaxing and skill not to grow discouraged. Imagine that many years have passed since the soul left the house of its spouse, and that until it returns to this house, there is a great need that it know how to deal with him. For so we sinners are. Our souls and our thoughts are so accustomed to wandering about at their own pleasure or grief, to put it better, that the, soul, the poor soul doesn't understand itself. In order that it get to love remaining at home once again, a great deal of skill is necessary. If little by little this is not accomplished, we shall never do anything. And again, I assure you that if with care you grow accustomed to what I have said, your gain will be so great that even if I wanted to explain this to you, I wouldn't know how. Draw near then to this good master with strong determination to learn what he teaches you, and his majesty will so provide that you will turn out to be good disciples. He will not abandon you if you do not abandon him. Consider the words that divine mouth speaks. For in the first word you will understand immediately the love he has for you. It is no small blessing and a gift for the disciple to see that his master loves him. That reading comes from St. Teresa of Avila from The Way of Perfection, chapter 26. And the most comforting words in there, apart from the fact that she reiterates over and over God's deep love for us, the other very consoling words are little by little. Uh, and the other one is, who's making us hurry? A lot of times we want to have uh, this perfect experience of prayer. We want to go into the, the chapel or go into the adoration chapel and sit down and, and perfectly commune with God and, and meditate deeply and be at that perfect level. But God is content with the little glances, with a little by little closer moving towards him each day. That's all the time we have for today. Today's show is brought to you by Susan Wise and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com and click that Patreon link to learn more. Come be a part of the ongoing conversation over on social media, Facebook.com slash StepOutsideTheWalls. And until next week, let nothing disturb you. Let nothing affright you. All things are passing. God is unchanging. 
Patience obtains all things. Who has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.